Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You think about the person in your life, when you started, believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifices. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. I want them talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Oh, enjoy your lunch, 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 lunch. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who is naive and arrogant, thinking he can get away with making these nuanced, long-term, progressive takes on our podcast, rather than going in long ball with some big fat hot takes it's nathan a clark hello nathan just call the players lazy mate just call them lazy and get it done with they're lazy <laughs> they're bad we don't spend any money there's nothing more to it except for when we win and then we've got all the best players in the league and the refs are biased against us is that covering all bases i think so i think you pretty much nailed it i mean you made us sound like um another spurs podcast but uh, aside from that um yeah I, let, let's have some let's have some <laughs> hot takes in today's pod uh, Bardi, there is some exciting news about our website. We have a shop, Wendy, or I like to call it a little a little boutique. Come in, have a peruse. None of the sales assistants will hassle you. We've got some lovely designed um, T-shirts, long-sleeve tees, hoodies, and more being added as as we speak. It's it's, it's a very nice little shop. Mm, it's, it's coming on a treat. Trayton Miller, our graphic designer, has done us proud once again. Uh, the Sonny Pushkas is so is good man. really sexy and the one that's going to be added later this week is whew, a thing of beauty where can they Truly find that little boutique windy the extra inch uk um for all your spurs uh something like that just click on the shop tab at the top um yeah and and, and buy christmas presents for your family members if you, if you like the designs that would be cool. Um, at the end of this pod, you're going to hear a new track called Chronicles by David Lindmer, who makes our intro music. If you like uh, the tune and that's your kind of vibe, then follow David Lindmer on Spotify so you can keep up to date with future releases. Uh, his name is spelt L-I-N-D-M-E-R. Check him out. He's really great. Can um, I um can I put a little yeah, kind of parental advisory on this on this podcast before we start? Because I've just spent four days in Devon and I don't know what's wrong with people down there, man. But every <laughs> every single doorway, every single ceiling is so small. I yeah, swear to yeah. 
God, I've, I've, I smashed my head in pubs, in the house we were, we were staying in. What is it? Everyone in Devon just little because I, I'm, I'm still in pain. I've got scabs everywhere. I, I think if I'd stayed in Devon any longer, I would have come back seriously altered because there's, there's something wrong with people. There's something wrong with the buildings down there. <laughs> You'd have come back as, as Bardi but hunched. <laughs> I, I stood up and like and like the people I was with they were all little and they were like oh just watch your head and I stood up and said look the door frame is at my shoulder level so all it takes is just a misjudgment or you're not paying attention to something as you step under and you come up too soon and crack oh, and, yeah. and they were like what are you doing I'm like no I'm not going back to Devon I did contemplate moving there in the future but I'm not having it can't, can't be done Devon, Devon and Cornwall are, are places lost in time and that's part of their charm but it also means that there are some things such as the the average height of the inside of a building that are, uh, are a little outdated maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd argue some of their views are outdated too, but let's not go there. Um, <laughs> we got this question from Ivan Victor, who I had the pleasure of meeting before the uh, Aston Villa game last week. Ivan says, I have a complex and deeply tactical question for you all. I hope you can answer it. How fucking much do you love Big Ange? Well, I Nathan, think... you did a tweet about this. <laughs> go to Nathan. Stuff. So much, man. So much. Oh, my goodness. I just... um. I don't know. Like the the tweet was, and uh, what I'm, or essentially what the tweet was, and what I'm going to say now is like, um, it's it's kind of crazy how good I feel coming off the back of three losses in a draw. I just feel I just feel so um, proud of what we're doing so far, and excited for what I really feel is to come. Um, and like honestly, like what what more is there that you could want to feel about your club? I. I... I think I've never felt better about the direction of travel at Spurs. I, 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 I loved some of the time under Pochettino. I loved a lot of the growth. This feels like the next level and we're starting from a higher base and it's it's deeply exciting. I, I Maybe. I think that like, I don't know, obviously sort of things the last two home games at White Hart Lane, the old White Hart Lane and times like that, I think, you know... Uh, the 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 week before the Champions League final, I think that I think that you know. Yeah, but even then, like things were on a downward trajectory before the Champions League final. It was awful. So, like, don't get me wrong. When things were on the up under Poch, it felt incredible, and and so many of the atmospheres were amazing, and it was really good fun. But from a sort of you know projecting forward where we might be in two or three years, Mm. the way we've restructured our recruitment. We're signing good players. We've appointed my favourite manager in my lifetime. We're playing really great football. And I love a bunch of our players as well. I mean, this is wonderful. Do you love um, Postacoglu more than Pochettino right now? I do. I wow. do. I, do. I, I, think, I think he's a better human being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably. I, I, I think you guys, are, I think you're probably talking because you've got the Chelsea. You know what, you've, you know the future. So you know where the story goes. You know, he ends up in Chelsea. What I really admired about Postacoglu is he's, he's just not, like, he's not bowed to, to other teams. It would have been quite easy to go up to City and do what everybody, everybody was desperate. Everybody is not Spurs. Everybody was desperate for Spurs to rock up and be a little club, little, little small club going up against City. We're just going to, we're just going to sit back and see what we can do and hope for the best. 
best, but we didn't do that. And that, that takes a lot of guts, man, especially when you've lost three in a row. I think I think we could have been forgiven for, for doing parking the bus and low block encounter. He could have been forgiven for that, but he doesn't do that. And I think I'm, that's what I think I admire the most about him. There'll probably become a time where we're all like, no, you need to change. But he's not going to change. And that's what I really admire. I've, I've always been a fan of doubling down and building a hill. And I've got to say, Postacoglu's hill is, is a beautiful place to be right now. It doesn't need to change. I, 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 I did this. I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, saying how, like, um, I, what I said at the time was, like, for the time being, we're going to love that, that this is his mentality, always look to play our game. Um, and then maybe in a year or two's time, when, you know, we've been knocked out uh, in quarter and semifinals, or we've come six points short, and we've got a poor record against the top six, like which what this is what happened under Pochettino, we would say, okay, he needs to adapt to these bigger games. I no longer feel that way. I fully believe he's he's won me, like he hadn't already, right? But now, now I'm like, when we're ready, we will outplay the best teams in the world. We yeah. will be one of the yeah. best teams in the world. And we've um, look at it now. We've we've taken a point away at Arsenal, a point away at City. Chelsea was has mitigating circumstances. Chelsea has a, a asterisk next to it, and so does Villa, perhaps a little bit. But we've been away and got two good points away from home. And, and besides, I do think um, I think this is in complete contrast to what the pundits would tell you. I think he did make some subtle changes for the game against always, Man City always. and you know Nathan's already highlighted the the different methods of pressing that he's deployed in various matches depending on the yeah. team shape we're up against depending on the the team selection we've made um so let's let's get into the team selection the the subtle change that I noticed in this game that I haven't seen in any other match for Spurs uh, so far this season is we played a very definite 4-2-3-1 in our defensive shape. So we brought in Basuma for Bentancourt and rather than playing a three-man midfield with um, uh, Lo Celso to the left, Basuma in the middle and Kulisevsky to the right, Lo Celso and Basuma played as a midfield two with Kulisevsky higher up in a band of three behind Son. I've not seen us do that from the start this season. We might have slipped into it at, at stages of matches but um, you know, Sky graphics have always shown us playing four two three one wrongly, in my view. They've always shown Madison as a ten. It's it's a little bit annoying because like we obviously play a four three three and Madison is on the left of that three. But um, yeah, this time it was a genuine four two three one. So he's made some adaptations specifically for this game, presumably because he doesn't want Rodri to get on the ball and dictate tempo. And uh, yeah, he even changed it again in the second half, which I'm sure we'll come into. Yeah, so um, I think the main thing there is opting to press with one forward um, because I do think that we most of the time it was a four-two-three-one pressing shape, but I think we occasionally used a four-three-three pressing shape. The main thing being that we weren't, you know, I, when I talked when I did my video before and when I talked before about pressing under Pozzoglu, the the my fear was about overcommitting our two forwards, and this was sort of the opposite extreme of that of never really having anyone join uh what not until the 88th minute or whatever it was uh have anyone join sun as, as a as a front two so pressing the 4-2-3-1 occasionally pressing in a 4-3-3 whereas normally we press in a 4-4-2 right um so yeah that, that was a big thing and that that's where <laughs> that's where it's simultaneously true that like uh we were whether you want to call it brave or bold or whether you want to call it naive and arrogant right 
yes, we said we're going to play out the back with Davies and Royale as our centre-backs against the best team in the world. Absolutely true and absolutely worth celebrating. And also accurate analysis to say we tweaked our pressing structure to only press with one forward which meant that okay some you know we gave the opposition a bit Mm -hmm. more time on the ball out Mm -hmm. of respect for their game um uh etc so yeah both both things true there Mm -hmm. uh nathan phillips says i wondered if you'll might comment on how impressive lacelso was in defense yesterday by my tally he pipped the ball in their own third four separate times while still having substantial impact on progressing us up the pitch with 100 percent passing accuracy throughout the match and obviously adding to our scoreline um i i feel like i need to give us a, a special apology to giovanni lacelso because three weeks ago i said there's no point playing lacelso his heart's <laughs> not in it he's gone in january and anyway what's the point and then he's played two games where He's played like his life depended on it. I think he's been brilliant. I think his his um his conviction and work rate have been fantastic. And obviously he's scored two goals, which really helps. Two really good strikes, good technique with his left. Um I thought he struggled a bit in the first half against City, as as the whole team did. I thought in the second half when he pushed up to play the ten roll, he was really impressive, and uh, I enjoyed his performance a lot. But Bardi, I mean, as someone else who'd pretty much given up on the cell. So, how are you finding his performances? Yeah, I, I was like you. I thought perhaps he might put a bit of effort in just to get a move in January. But he he has played like he's a brand new signing. He's got something really to prove to everybody, and it's been great to see. I thought he was. I thought even in the first half, despite the team struggling, I thought he was fine. But in the second half, he he was great, and I I was concerned when he went off. Um, I thought there was a little bit of a change in our team, and yeah, I was I was very I was I was concerned. Yeah, definitely concerned for us when he went off. But he was really good, man, and. Um, I think this is this is this is great for us to have a player in the Celso who can who can cover for Madison, offer something different to Madison, and uh, hopefully it would be re- it would be really Spurs now if he's just done this to to get a move to Barcelona <laughs> in, in January. I always knew, I always knew that when you took this technically gifted creative player and you put him in a system where we wanted to have the ball and we had the ball and we went at it and we pressed high that he would thrive but then I also thought the exact same about Ndombele so you know you win some you lose some <laughs> 50, it was 50-50 that's, I've been watching the squid games that's, that's, that's decent odds <laughs> Um, we've got this package of questions from Gregory Green. I think I think they're really useful questions. So let's structure our conversation around this. He says, uh, one thing highly praised in Postacoglu's press, post-presser was him saying that he would take the blame or the responsibility for picking the playing style if things didn't go well at the Etihad. Three questions for you guys about this. One, how well can he accept responsibilities for losses when fans can point to individual errors? I saw many people at the Overflow Supporters Bar and on Twitter blaming Basuma for the Grealish goal. I could imagine Gil getting blamed. Sorry. I could imagine Hill getting blamed if Doku's postage stamp attempt went in or if Royale gets ran over by Haaland. So that's the first question. How do you feel about Postacoglu saying that he will take responsibility? I mean, it's a it's a different it's a different tactic to many managers we've had before. <laughs> Certain um, preceding coaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think at some point him taking responsibility needs to end. But it's good while we're still in this kind of training period, while we're still in the honeymoon period of getting to know each other. I think it's very useful for players to make those to make a mistake and he and he takes the blame for it. Um, I think Basuma should be blamed for that goal. I think he did make a mistake. 
I I don't imagine Postacoglu would want him spinning into trouble when there's three Manchester City players ready to 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 jump on him. I don't think that's part of the plan. But um, I I like the fact that he's accepting responsibility and allowing players to make mistakes. It would just be nice if the players made less mistakes. I th- I think that this 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 should be the default. I think anything other than this is ridiculous. And obviously, yeah, obviously we spent a lot the last couple of years or four five years saying as much, right? Um, uh, and it's it's absurd that the that Postacoglu is an outlier because like obviously at some point Postacoglu is gonna pick the team right he's gonna pick the players he's gonna use prior performances and also performances in training to to make that decision um, he's he's gonna you know say who he's looking to keep and and not keep ahead of a summer transfer window and so on they don't need any lambasting around that. Fundamentally, the way that we play is primarily down to the coach. Um, so this is how it has to be, um, and and all of the all of the upside of that, which again I think is totally necessary, um, is is obvious, right? Is is um, putting confidence in your players um, and not making scapegoats of them. I don't know. It's just it's just glaringly obvious to me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so Gregory's second question is on the topic of heel with a half time substitution. Do we blame Ange or Brian when you guys talk about him? Can you answer if, if this was a bad day for the kid or will he go lower down the pecking order? Um, uh, and if I may, um, I thought it was the right change at half time. It's I was already saying like uh, that's the change I'd I'd make Hoybier for heel at half time. But I also thought he had a good half. I thought he was fine. A lot mm. of fans didn't. A lot of fans thought he was poor. Um, I think mainly fans are annoyed that he is slower than Kyle Walker. And I think that's unfair. Um, my view is that he had a really difficult job in this game. He was receiving the ball tight to a touchline on the left with three City players converging on him and being expected to pick little passes out to Udogi and the Celso and others uh, from that position and he did that quite effectively several times and we built through through doing so and a couple of times he lost it um he was brilliant for the opening goal really impressive really really good really excellent excellent turn on Foden for our for our opening goal I think he is a significant significant upgrade on Manuel Solomon in that role in the squad uh but he is a young, imperfect player and he is going to require some developing and certainly shouldn't be a sort of first choice winger for Spurs in the long term. In the short term period, I don't think he had a particularly bad game and I think he should start against uh, West Ham. Interesting. Interesting. Well, so again, I want to repeat my praise for um, his involvement on turning after the corner, uh, turning Foden, uh, releasing, was it Kulusevski or Lacelso? Kulusevski. It was Kulusevski. Um, really lovely play, but I think that he was physically dominated by Kyle Walker for the remainder of the half, um, and I think that played a significant role in him coming off at half time. I think that he was looking tired. After he was looking tired, yeah. Also, yeah. so huge victory for Antonio Conte on the physical and athletic limitations of Brian Hill, um, whilst he also gets shown how to actually coach players and take responsibility for his team. Uh, this is now. I, he wasn't great in the previous game. Uh, again, I liked I think, him in the previous game. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, so for me, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not writing him off. 
Um, I want to see him get more minutes in the next game because we're talking about a, you know his first league start followed by coming up against the best team in the world. Probably really, really tricky situation. Um, but I think that I think that the <laughs> I think that Conte was kind of vindicated by by Hill's performance because he he was bullied off the ball and he was massively outpaced. Okay, you're right. It's Kyle Walker. Everyone gets massively outpaced by Kyle Walker. Um, but I feel like he he really struggled to impose himself into the game at all. I think he I think he really struggled. He did nice on the goal. That was really nice. But I just thought as the first half went on, he got kind of got muscled off it once or twice. And then the thing the thing about Hill and the difference between Johnson, who I thought had a good game and um, created mm. some chances, had some shots, I just think there's a there's he doesn't seem to make a decision and I think he arrives at a point quite often and the decision making just doesn't happen because he he just doesn't make a decision. And I think that affects him. Plus, he see he, he just lost his head. He just got bullied and he disappeared from the game. And um, yeah, I, it's, I don't think it's going to work for him. I just don't see it. And I think we look miles better once he was off the pitch. We look stronger. And um, Johnson on that side was able to at least offer something against against Kyle Walker. I just quickly on Johnson, because uh, um, I just accuse Hill of like not getting himself into the game. Johnson also had v- very few involvements in this game. This is kind of the way that he plays, and we talked about this before. Um, but when he did receive the ball with some momentum, he he did, and it was only like three occasions. But when he did get the ball on the run, he, you know, he did some really good things, including taking the ball around Kyle Walker ninety minutes into a game, which um, which is a tough thing to do. Um, so. Yeah, I guess that's 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 the difference, right? And maybe maybe Hill plays another fifteen, twenty minutes. Maybe there's a moment for him, but it didn't feel like it was going to go that way. So yeah, a quiet but effective game for Johnson in comparison to Hill. On on the sub at half time, there's also the very important tactical context. So I'd like to do that now. Um so we um we built with our back two and Basuma um just in front of them in a in a narrow what do you want to call that? A, a narrow three-man build-up, um, and our fullbacks pushed quite quite high and and also narrow, and so City pressed us in a kind of a diamond shape, um, but with quite a bit of separation between the front three and their midfield three matching us, um, and then I think a lot of the time um, it would have been Alvarez stood off Royale, inviting the pass to Emerson Royale, where they then pressed him, and that's how they got. Um, a few turnovers and created situations that would later become turnovers um, in the first half. Um, at the half, Hill comes off for Hoiberg, um, which means Kulisewski moves wide, which means Lacelso moves forwards. And and then we started to build with a midfield two stacked on top of our two centre-backs. So building with a four, City is still pressing with a front three, and that's how we had a lot more success. Uh, hmm... That's how we had a lot more of the ball in the second half. Obviously, the downside is that is that you're losing an attacking player for a more defensive player. We had less threat forwards. The the thing about this game, the thing about how incredibly great we feel about it is that once again, City absolutely demolished us in this game. Right, City completely, massively outplayed us, uh, completely outshot us, obliterated us, us unexpected goals as is tradition. Um, we used that tactical adjustment, um, having scored a counter-attack in the first half, to basically create two more chances. And we scored them both because that's just what we do against City. So I do want to praise that move. It did work. It gave us a footing in the game. I feel great about the football that we did play when we were successful doing it. 
but let's not get carried away. <laughs> we were definitely outplayed in this game. Um, so that's kind of where the tactical analysis kind of ends for me. I'd like to push back a little bit. Okay. I think we, we were blown away in the first half. Definitely. Uh, I thought we were really good in the second. I thought we absolutely dominated possession and took the sting out of City. I think there's two critical things that happened that enabled that to happen. Uh, firstly, Doku went off which was massive for the game. I know Greenish yeah. scored, but Doku was such a threat. You know, we, we defend with a narrow right. fullback in, in, well, on both sides, but Pedro Porro is, is narrow. And that meant that Doku picked up the ball wide and had time to back Porro back and back and back and back and back. And we didn't quite know how to handle him because he's so unconventional and difficult to defend against. He's a brilliant, brilliant player. And the other thing is that Pierre-Emile Hoybier came on and added another player in the in build-up, in the in yeah. double pivot. And he, I think he fluffed both of his first two passes. And I was thinking, <laughs> oh God, here we go. Bardi's going to be on him like a rash. And then he, after that, he was pretty much immaculate. I think he had such a calming influence on the team. As we've seen him come on and do in, in numerous games this season, and it helped us gain control and slowly but surely we built a foothold in the match you could see the players grow in confidence over time um a little tweak of johnson playing much much higher up i think had a big impact as well um we got kuliseski on the ball plenty lacelso got on the ball more um i was so impressed by that second half showing having been blown away by city in the first half we came back strong um we played essentially in the same way, but with some tweaks, and and we took the game to them, and I was really, really pleased. City can get in the bin, you know. They they <laughs> they annoy me. They 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 just we can't play it long because they just got all these giants, and they've just got these massive giants and chomp about the pitch, and then they when they don't know what to do, they just chuck it to Doku, who just runs like hell, and they or they just whack it into the middle to that massive striker, and that was it. City, I wasn't concerned about City. I always felt like we could score a goal. I always felt there was something there for us. And I think had the game go on, we, we're going to win that. We would, we would have won that because City lose their minds against us. And I wasn't that impressed by them. Um, this is this is Spurs missing some key players, man. Um, yeah. I thought Hjoiber came on and did great. He gave us a... Whereas um, Hill was just a player that we couldn't use. He was he was out on the wide and he was just not available to us to, to work with. Hjoiber coming in the middle, putting Johnson out wide, gave us an option out wide where there was something different there. Um, everything just got shut down when the ball went out to Brian. So we changed. It was nice. Hjoiber did good. I was a bit concerned as well when he came on and started whacking it out of, out of play. But it was great. But City... I'm not scared about City. They don't worry me like they used to. And we're, we're doing when we get home. And I don't think they're going to win the league this year. There's just there's just two... I don't know. There's just something not quite right with it. Perhaps De Bruyne comes back and fixes it. But at the moment, they're just big monster men smashing around doing, I don't know, like the Hulk in Avengers. They're just There's no finesse to them. I wasn't concerned when Hoybier came on, but I was a little concerned when Skip came on. But he had a really good game. He had a really good cameo, at least, right? A few good moments and really important in the build-up to the third goal. Yes, he was. He was he, like in the same kind of way Hill was, who didn't have a great game. He was crucial to the first goal, and and yeah, and Skip was crucial to the second goal. Yeah, I thought Skip was all right. Yeah, same. Ugh. I just um. I don't know. I think Skip's lost any bit of momentum he had and, and needs a change now. Uh, I don't think it will happen 
in January because I think we need the midfielders, we need the bodies. I think he'll probably go in the summer, sadly. Um, sure. Going back to the questions from Gregory. So the final one he asked was, what does it say about our players that they need to be motivated by the manager assuming all responsibility? Is this the one level of, huh. of adversity they can't stomach? I I don't want to go near this question because I I think that's it may be a bit negative. So I'm gonna, I'm going to I'm I think I we're going to step away from it anyway. <laughs> well, let me let's 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 um let's play with the question there. Let's let's tweak the wording. Um, I yeah I think it's harshly phrased because I think that you can say like um um what kind of working condition is it for anyone to to always shoulder the blame for things that are sometimes definitely their responsibility uh, and other times maybe not right and how does that affect a collective morale of a of a squad of players or workers if um every time there's a shortcoming it's it's their fault i feel like surely that's an incredibly de- demotivating thing i was about to bring the workplace uh, example in myself nathan i mean i I have a number of people in my team who are responsible for tasks, the tasks that I simply don't know how to do, but I'm mm. accountable for their work. I'm I'm paid more for than them, and my job description is such that I am accountable for the work that they produce. And I think that's right. I think it's up to me to create the conditions in which they can thrive and, and do their jobs effectively and hopefully feel motivated to do their jobs effectively through having a degree of autonomy and, um, and mastery. And I think... That's what Postacoglu's done. He's given the players um, building blocks. He's given them tactics. He's allowed them time to master those tactics. He's enhanced their skill through coaching. And now he's given them a degree of authority on the pitch while saying, you know what? I'm going to play Mr. Royale at centre-back. He's not a centre-back, but I'm going to ask him to do the things I want him to do. And if he doesn't do them to perfection, that's on me because I'm putting him in a position he's not familiar with. And I really appreciate that. I thought Emerson Royale was fucking terrible on the ball, but it's not his fault. <laughs> it's it's and and just made that call to play him there. Like I appreciate he's got very few other options, but I love the fact that Ange just takes the flack for that. Emerson Royale is not a centre back and never will be, and he's certainly not a centre back in a system that requires the centre back to have so much of the ball. But you know, Ange, Ange, he's there to shoulder the blame for these kind of decisions. We, we we several times last season we said Emerson Royale was terrible on the ball and build up. Um, yep. And it's not his fault. We said it's not his fault then. We're saying it's not his fault now, and it isn't. The difference is in those on those occasions we said, and that killed our entire game, and that's why we drew or lost yeah. or were miserable for eighty five minutes until the end when we nicked an equaliser, whatever it was. Whereas this time we're saying, yeah, Emerson Royale was terrible and build up. And it made things very scary. And okay, yeah, maybe maybe City could have scored three in the first half and we're having a different conversation. But even even then, even under that context, we still stuck to our guns and we still played very good football despite the limitations of, of Royale and Davies. Mm-hmm. And even maybe Basuma. We'll talk about him in a minute. And there, um, and there are things Emerson Royale is good at and he was enabled to do those things well and, and effectively. And had a handful of good moments despite overall struggling in, mm-hmm. in the conditions that City set traps for him. So yes, yeah, simultaneously, Postacoglu takes responsibility, and this is the way. This is how it's it goes both ways, right? He takes responsibility for any of Royale's fuck ups in that game, but he also gets all the credit at the end of the day for the good things that we did do, yeah. um, the the result that we achieved, even though obviously there's quite a bit of luck involved there, and where we're going to go forwards, and also where we've already seen um, us at our best. 
I think where Postacoglu deserves a lot of praise is Royale was, he was having a hard time, but he, he was empowered to keep going and keep doing yeah. it. And even though the the, the, the the commentators were screaming at him to punt it, he didn't do it. <laughs> he kept doing it. And that was, that was the faith that um, the manager puts in him and tells him to keep doing that. I mean, I think it would be the easy. I think it would be the easy way would be just to say, "Royale, don't worry about it. It's not working. Just punt it, mate." But um, it doesn't do that. He makes him keep playing the same way, and and it a lot of the times, you know, we're criticizing him, or he got criticized. But a lot of times, it was all right, man. It was all right passing out the back. And then Postecoglou at halftime makes a tactical tweak that significantly improves our build-up because it's his responsibility mm. to find the solutions to get his team play the way he wants him to play, right? And I think that not to say that we never changed our build-up shape or solved build-up problems under Conte because that's not my position. That's not what I believe. But but I do think that there is a connection between the mentality of a coach who says, this is on me, and the drive to find solutions beyond, well, these players are crap, let's get rid of them and replace them with good players. And until then, I will be punishing my club and my chairman with the worst football <laughs> I can manage. It, it would be nice, though, if um, Emerson Royale, in this kind of empowering of skills, could learn how to, like, Organise a deep free kick. That'd be quite nice if our if our two centre backs because we conceded from the exact same free kick two weeks in a row. Um, oh man! So it would be nice that, if yeah. we did some like kind of set piece stuff. I'm really looking forward to Romero being back, um, Jeez, and yeah. um, we're certainly going to talk about that and more. But before we do, I just want to take a moment to tell you about the Literacy Pirates. You may have heard us talk about them last year. So this is a lovely charity who are based next to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium who help local children between the ages of 9 and 12 who are falling behind in school and have fewer opportunities in their personal lives. When we spoke about them before, um, off the back of that, someone volunteered for this charity, which I thought was wonderful, and someone else arranged for the company that he worked for's sort of corporate charity uh, fund to go to Literacy Pirates, which, you know, wonderful, great stuff. Basically, the way it works, they have an after-school program from pirate-themed spaces to help children develop their reading and writing. And the volunteers who sit with the children and listen to them read and encourage their writing are asked to help them engage with uh, literacy and develop a passion for reading and for books. So they help them choose a book and they, and they really help to enable and encourage them with their reading. It's a lovely, lovely concept. Um, they're looking for volunteers as they strive to help even more children to improve their literacy. Uh, the program runs between 3.45 and 6.45 Monday to Friday. It's delivered both in person or online from anywhere in the UK and volunteers don't need any experience. Full training is provided. So you can email volunteering at literacypirates.org. The website is literacypirates.org. And you can donate if you want to at justgiving.com forward slash literacypirates. I had a call with them last week. They're lovely people and they do great work. And the fact that it's right next to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium just means it's uh, even more relevant for, for us to talk about. <laughs> 
That's stamps.com code program. Uh, so if you can support them or if you're the company you work for has a charitable fund, please consider Literacy Pirates. So, um, do you think Pep Guardiola wakes up in a cold sweat thinking about Spurs every night? What have we got over him, Nathan? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know, because this is now, what is this, five coaches? Five very different styles of play? Um, obviously, there's an extent to which, like, we are one of the better teams in the league and, and have been through these coaches, you know, even even when times have been rough, our, our individual talent that is there. Um, the ludicrous finishing ability of... Uh, you know, now and throughout Sun and previously Harry Kane is is significant. Um, and, uh, you know, just a bit of luck plays a role. But I guess the thing is that, like, after a while, after you get lucky four times in a row or whatever, or four times out of seven, um, and you have two very good finishes, starts to get in City's head, right? We yeah. become their bogey team. And, and uh, man, the thing with uh, Sun being one of the best finishers of all time is that, like, so is Haaland. And he missed one of the worst hitters I've ever seen in my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Wow. I don't know, man. I don't know, but... Um, we're definitely under their skin. I think it's fair to assume that we're under their skin. It did feel as well like we had a little helping hand at the end there when uh, Haaland is found. The referee initially allows play to go on and then just as Grealish is put through on goal, he blows He blows for the Haaland foul. I can only think that he thought Grealish was offside, but I went back and checked and definitely wasn't offside. He was clearly on. The worst thing about that is it gives them something to, to complain about. Yeah. It, that's the, it, Score the open net, mate. You know? Yeah, take your chances so that it wasn't even that it wasn't even like a high xg chance he was still miles away from the goal he had emerson royale next to him he might not have even made it i reckon royale i fancy vicario i reckon royale would have just booted him take take the red card oh, yeah. like, i thought ben davis was going to sweep his legs somebody would have taken the leg for sure but um it just it, it allows them off the hook and all of a sudden it's gone from spurs playing well being brave getting a getting a draw to oh the referee cheated them and it's just like just get back in your box Pep you should have won the game you didn't and that's the thing about you, this you played us with ten first team players absent and yeah. you still couldn't beat us yeah yeah all all very fair I think um, at the time I thought it was like a hilariously bad refereeing um, I he doesn't play an advantage because he only uses one hand one one hand for a foul two for an advantage he raises one arm so it's a foul he calls mm. but they thought or we th- we all thought that it was advantage but it's a foul so it's not that he's called the advantage and then changed his mind is there's a misinterpretation that he played advantage but he didn't are yeah. you sure i because i that's not what i saw in his body language no you can't he, he, nathan's right mike dean always used to run around with his two hands waving him two hands two hands is advantage i'm not even reading the, the laws of refereeing i'm just going to agree with nathan i need to watch <laughs> it again because it looked to me like he changed his mind about what he was going to do but, uh, no one, you know, no one whatever. remembers, no one remembers this, but I, it stuck in my head. Do you remember when we beat um, Chelsea in the the League Cup final, and the last second, Maluda's threw a goal. Do you remember this? Maluda's, Maluda's threw a goal, and the referee blows it. Uh, he just, it would just disappear <laughs> into time. Everyone forget about it. <laughs> I think he might have hit the post, or I think he went in. But there was a moment at the end of that League Cup final where the referee, who just kept playing and playing and playing, he should have blown the whistle ages ago, realised that he'd made a mistake. He just went, all right, I'm <laughs> going to call it now before before chaos reigns. 
So Paul Maslin says, starting Thursday, we play six games in 25 days. No one other than Vicario and Davis slash Romero can play every game. So how much does Richarlison play? Heal? When will Saar be back? What is the matter with Basuma? And does Hoybier deserve or need at least one or two starts? Who subs for Porro and Udogi? And when the Celso can't play, who does instead? Uh, sub-question, this is from Keith Starr. Who starts against West Ham, Heel or Hoybier? So we have some squad management to do over the coming days. Six games in 25 days is unlike anything we've faced so far this season. How do you think we manage the squad over these matches? Uh, I think um, Hoybier starts in place of Hill, And then at some point in that period, uh, Richardson comes back in and plays plays wide in, in space of, yeah, instead of Hill. I think that the use of Hoiber was specific to this game in opposition and not indicative of our intended selection going forward, although he did play well in the role. Um, um, is there anyone else who would come back into contention in the near future? Who might so Saar is back up? for Newcastle, apparently. Okay, all right. Well, they, um, do you think he'll probably come off the bench in that game? I think that will make one change for the West Ham game, which will be Romero back for Royale. Yeah. I think we'll play Hill and Johnson so on the wings. Start Hill. Yeah. And then I think for the Newcastle game, if Saar's fit, I think Saar will come in for Hill. Johnson will move to the left and Kulisevsky will play on the right. And then it will be a question of who else is okay to play, given it will be Thursday to Sunday turnaround. Um, maybe oh, he'll, he'll want Poro and Udogi to play because they're so far beyond the alternatives it's, it's a lot of minutes on on those two playing in mm. fullback role you know it's several several you know times in a couple of weeks yeah and then so. the Celso is only just back from injury that's that's going to be a lot of minutes in his legs in a short space of time so maybe maybe skip or Hoybier get some minutes I think the the critical thing for me is we need to be using our bench more and better uh, so earlier subs, more subs. I don't think we've used five subs at all this season. If we have, it's not happened often. So given that we've got players coming back, Richarlison coming back, Sark coming back, it's, it's time to... minutes for a while. No. no, but he can certainly take some minutes off the bench to help relieve Son's legs, for example. Mm. Did you did you like seeing Donnelly come in for a couple of touches? I really liked seeing Donnelly come in. Um, so I, I, I've been... I've been uh, posting a lot on on um, Blue Sky. Uh, I'm locked out of my Twitter account at the moment, my Windy Coys account. Not for anything naughty that I've done. I reset my password because someone tried to hack it, and the two-factor authentication failed. And Elon Musk's X product is so shit, and the <laughs> service is so awful that I've been locked out for like a fortnight now, and they're just not replying to my help calls so uh, i've used this as an opportunity to switch over to blue sky and anyway the, the long-winded intro to, to what i'm about to say is that on blue sky i put a message on saying i think donnelly's involvement is really vital i think it was only a couple of minutes we'll probably not see him much again now richardson's back and could have said a viable attacking midfielder but the message that sends to the academy is huge. And I really think, you know, if we just continued this practice of never giving academy players minutes ever, even when we've got a huge injury crisis, we will lose more young players. Bringing Don Leon is vital to the the ability of Spurs to retain their best academy prospects. 
So I was really, really chuffed to see him come on. And um, there's a great photo of him competing with Harland for a header. Mm. Um, I'm sure that'll be a very important photo for him for years to come. Who do you... So for the next game, is Sars available? That obviously pushes someone else back onto the bench. Who drops off the bench? Santiago, Dorrington, Villiers, Donnelly? Who drops off? Or the goalkeeper, I guess. We've got two goalkeepers. Yeah, so they've done this thing... It's really winds me up. Austin and Forster were both on the bench again. Uh, I guess it's a reward to Austin. That's all I can think about. Um, You know, he'll get some money for being on the bench. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, But yeah, I think Saar comes back onto the bench against Newcastle for Austin. Although, hang on, because Romero's coming back in, so Emerson Royale goes into the bench for Austin. That means someone else drops out for Newcastle. Uh, if Sars back, it'll probably be Dorrington. Santiago, maybe. Given how short we are with of, uh, yeah, it could be Dorrington. If if Emerson Royale will cover centre back, maybe it will be Dorrington. Where's Dyer? I, I, Is he injured? Yeah, he had a, he had a knock for for this game. I did like that Dorrington was on the bench. I've I've spoken before that I don't think Dorrington is ready for um, Premier League level football, but I also mm. think that he's a really really talented ball player. So I'm excited about him long term. So I do like that he was in the squad just for that reason. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think if there's any game where we're like quite comfortable and having lots of the ball, then that will be the time to bring Dorrington on to give him a bit of a taste of what Premier League football's about. I'm not going that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have another question from Gregory Green. He's been prolific with questions this week. He says, if Madison is back from injury in January, does Lo Celso's latest performances, yes, it's only been two, mean that he takes a spot between Bentancur and Madison during the African Cup of Nations in the Saar role while Basuma and Saar are out? I know there have been murmurs of Hoybier taking one of either Basuma or Saar's spots that are being sold. Does Lo Celso's form and ability show that we could let Hoybier go? Yes. <laughs> After his I- best performance of the season. <laughs> I think um, I'd quite like to see Lacelso, this this version of Lacelso alongside um, uh, Madison and Bentico would be quite nice with Basuma as well. Saar, I think that's um, quite a nice little grouping. I was a bit concerned about centre midfield, but Lacelso's kind of turn of form recently has has made me feel a lot better about it. I do think that Hoyberg just had his his best game of the season for us, um, even though it was only forty five minutes. Um, but I uh, am really into Gielo right now um, as an 8 and, and as a 10, although obviously because it's kind of more of a 4-3-3 than a 4-2-3-1, there's significant overlap between the two roles or or not a huge gap between the two roles. Um, yeah, it, it it makes a very significant difference to uh, to the needs or the at least the desperation of needs in our squad, um, you know, with Bentancur out again for, for a lengthy stretch. Yeah, I, I, I'm not... I'm not pushing Hoibio out the door in a rush just yet, but I, I am feeling real good about Gio Celso. I think, um, personally, I think Hoibio fulfills a really useful role in the squad and I wouldn't be looking to offload him. However, if the strategy is and has been to sell Hoibio in January when we still can get good value for him, I don't think we should change that okay. because of an injury crisis or because of an AFCON crisis. Um, and there will be a bit of a crisis because Bentancur is going to be out until potentially beyond what we, you know, we talk, we're looking at three months for Bentancur. Uh, Saar is going to miss most of January. Basuma will miss most of January. So that leaves us with Lacelso, Skip, Hoybier, uh, Kulusevski, and then hopefully Madison will be back at the end of January. Uh, I think you can get away with selling Hoybier if, if that's what Postacoglu and the club want to do. I think it's, 
completely viable and reasonable to do that. We've got two games in January plus a cup game. Um, if that's the strategy, then we shouldn't be affected by the uh, the injury crisis, I believe. I'd be sad to see Hoybier go at this point. I think he is very useful coming off the bench at the end of games. And I personally think there's a role for him to play at least until the summer and then reassess that. But I guess the answer to this question um, uh, can come in the form of reflecting on the sale of Davinson Sanchez. Uh, we sold a centre-back when we were desperately sort of centre-backs. Right. And we've been playing two players who are most recognised for their work at fullback. Um, so I guess right now, how do you feel about the sale of Devons and Sanchez? Because that was about we need to move some of these players on, even though it might thin out our squad where we need them right now. So if I may, uh, we had a question from Jerry Akintoken, who said, my question is regarding transfers and how I think it's odd that no one talks about the fact that we've got two senior defenders out on loan who can definitely do a job for us. Roden's having a strong spell and playing 90 minutes every week, while Regulon has had good performances for United. They aren't sadistic fits, but considering the fact that we need to cover other positions, why don't we look to them for depth cover? And I think this is what you've just asked about Sanchez applies to Roden and Regalon. And in all cases, I think we did the right thing. I think, um, yes, we've left ourselves short at centre-back, but long-term, it's right that these players move on from Spurs. And if the opportunities came for them to move on, then I think we were right to take those opportunities when we could. It's a short-term hit, um, hit for a long-term gain. And I think that's always the... Um, approach we should take we should be looking at the long term now whether Roden has a clause in his contract which allows a, a break in the loan which I think is unlikely I still wouldn't be bringing him back despite the fact that I do like Joe Roden I think he's an absolutely adequate centre-back we need better we should be aiming for better we should be buying a, a, a quality ball playing centre-back who can cover both sides and move on from players like Roden Regulon I don't think is anywhere near good enough for for where we want to be I think he would really struggle with, with Ange Ball. I don't think he's technically sound enough in build-up and he's way too frantic and I'm very yeah. happy to just let United have him and uh, let's see what we can get for him. Yeah, yeah. I um, um, Roden and Spence are both having a good time at Leeds um, and we might say, oh, we could do with those players in the squad right now. Maybe there are recall options in January. But I think that both of them are, if they just stuck around in the squad and not played football, they wouldn't have got the run of games that they needed to be then worth talking about recalling them, right? Um, so so definitely the right call in, in the case of the, both of those players. Really happy for them, really glad to see they, they're getting good runs. Um, and interesting to, see, um, interesting to see how the club then approached those two players because I think that they were basically seen as surplus um, coming into the season, do their loan performances change things? Um, what, how, how, how is our sort of internal scouting set up like mm. that? Uh, be interesting to see. Yeah, I think there was moments where I would have liked to have seen Sanchez still at the club to help us through this kind of crisis. But you're right, we had to sell him to move on. And I, d I don't think Sanchez would have been any more capable at passing through the Man City press than Emerson Royale. Probably worse. Yeah, he might have helped us on a free kick or two or a corner, but I think oh, he yeah. probably would have suffered for having him there. Fast in the high line too, but mm. yeah, no yeah. better on the ball, yeah. worse on the ball. I, I think so, uh, he had that one really good game in pre-season where he looked faster. actually really quite adequate in possession, but I agree, I think he would have struggled. And the difference between Sanchez and Emerson Royale, I think, is that Sanchez really, when he makes a few mistakes, his head just drops. Emerson Royale is like, 
He's the most belief. confident, <laughs> gregarious character in the squad, and he yeah. backs himself. And I like that. I rate that. I rate that in him. I think it's an important part of his makeup and is a really useful skill for us to have in the squad. Um, I think Sanchez would have been like a rabbit in the headlights, to be honest. Yeah, I think Sanchez looked better when he had um, either like Romero or Van der Ven alongside him, mm. then the midfield, all in position. He really would have struggled against Villa and, and against City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, James Leanfield says Kulisewski looks so natural playing centrally in Madison's absence that it seems a shame to push him back out wide when Madison comes back. Is a Madison and Kulisewski double 10 slash attacking 8 duo possible, or would it be too attacking without Saar, Bentancourt, Lo Celso 8 to help out defensively? I'm glad um, a Kulisewski question came up because I think we've kind of skirted around his performance and I think he was I think he was sensational again, not just in terms of on the ball, but just physically imposing, man. Oh, he's a monster. A when monster we, of a player. We have such a kind of light or small front line that all of a sudden he just he just gives us a bit of oomph, a bit of a bit of body, you know? He's um he really and that goal, man, that that was Nathan Ake he had jumped. It wasn't it wasn't a little fullback that he went head to head he like went head to head with. But Pep put him on because he likes big defenders and he wanted to to West Brom it out, but he couldn't. Kuliseski <laughs> just imposed him and just he went for it. It reminded me of um that goals that Kane would score at the back post where he would just go straight through um, Monreal that what the header he scored and just go straight through the fullback and bang have some of that Cliff Jones but uh, it was just great for Kulisewski I thought he had a great game and out wide in the second half he was a threat every time the ball went out to him you could sense that something could happen and I kept getting flashbacks on the the Conte game where we beat him 3-2 where he just chipped it up at the back post and he was he was brilliant and he had a great game and he's he's really having a good season I would thoroughly agree that he is having a very strong season. Kulisevsky, like, under the radar. Um, There were a few question marks from some people about him from the start. I thought the improvement from him from the first game against Brentford to the second game against Manu, I think it was, I thought was significant. I I thought it showed that he's he's picking things up and he was a quick learner. And from then on, I've just been so impressed. So, so impressed by his ability um, on and off the ball he's like a really tenacious presser um, actually that's something I didn't mention about Brian Hill that I was really impressed with I really really liked the way he picked up the pressing system going uh, cutting off passing lanes and moving in and out and which I think Kulisevsky does majestically as well he's so vital for us in the press um, but he is a complete and utter Trojan the way he carries the ball such long distances with players basically hanging off his back the strength of the man is ridiculous and his his power when he's running with the ball is uh, really quite something but it's his close control that that sets him apart you know he gets to the gets into the penalty area with no room to work and then he always manages to find a yard in his left foot and and produce something and he's having a hell of a season I'm really loving him to answer the question I think there are certain games where we absolutely could play Madison and Kulisevsky as eights with uh, Basuma or Bentoncourt or whoever between them um you know against the Burnley sure why not against Sheffield United absolutely but you you don't want to be caught against a team that are strong in transitions with those two as as eights I think that will be a problem for us but the Celso, he can be your very attacking number eight. So you don't Absolutely. have to posit that too much, right? Uh, hey, Windy, what did you think of Basuma? So Basuma's had a lot of criticism, and I think Basuma deserved some criticism for uh, the goal. Uh, I've got a couple of comments on Basuma. I thought he struggled in the first half. I thought he struggled quite badly in the first half. 
he looked nervous on the ball. He had a couple of iffy touches where it kind of got away from him. He made some uncharacteristic sort of mistakes in possession. I thought once Hoybier came on, Basuma was a different player. I was really impressed with him. He was being brave, taking under pressure. And and this is the thing you have to remember, like the bravery you have to have in that position is, I think, unparalleled throughout the rest of the team. He has to try things constantly and show for the ball constantly. Um, and it puts his technical ability to the test. And, and normally he comes through that test with flying colours. I will say in regards to the goal, it's a tricky moment because so City have an up and under. The ball bounces awkwardly off Emerson Royale's knees, I think. And it all happens very quickly. And Basuma like gets the ball down. And you can tell he's wanting to just sort of steady things and calm it down. And he looks out to the left and Udogi's there. But we don't pass it out to the fullback at that stage in, in, in our build-up play. We just don't because what happens then is the opposition can press the fullback and force the long ball up the line and then regain possession. So Basuma's turned away from playing that ball to Udogi thinking, if I play it to Udogi, we're going to lose the ball with the next pass. So instead, he tries to take responsibility and turns inside. Unfortunately, what he hadn't realised was he turned into trouble. So there's like, I think, the right judgement in that if I play it to Udogi, we lose the ball in a minute, but the wrong action, turning him back into trouble. And I will forgive him for that because, like I said, he's having to try things over and over and over and over again. And I think people who are criticising Basuma right now, and there's been lots of it over recent weeks, will be made to look foolish by the end of the season because he's a very good player and we can absolutely rely on him in the number six role. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was pretty good. I think um, I wonder if like he's established like such a high bar for himself to clear that there's a perception that he's dropped off when he drops like a an eight out of ten match or whatever. Um, yeah, in that moment, I don't think the pass to Udogi is on. The pass to Hoybjerg um, is a little spooky and also potentially regressive and just shifts the pressure onto someone else. I like that he tried to turn there. Uh, I'm going to be very ange about it that I, you know, try it again, try it next time, <laughs> just execute it a little better. Good challenge from, is it Rodri? I think it must be Rodri. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, lost the ball a couple of times in difficult circumstances. I think, I think I don't want to say any more about Batuma. I want to say this. I want to say, um, next week he's going to have Romero behind him. Let's, let's revisit the topic then. So now you can enjoy David Lindmer's Chronicles. Chronicles. 